Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, hope you continue to enjoy the front row because we certainly enjoy bringing it to you. And we bring it to you commercial free courtesy of the Dunlap Champions Club. You've heard us talk about it. It's a great deal. Football season is uh, ticking ever closer. I know the countdowns are going. Uh, they've got a half season ticket package on sale if you want to test drive the champion, the Dunlap Champions Club, which means you get to choose either the Miami or Louisville games and then any two of the remaining four games. Maybe more importantly, before you make that decision, call the boosters, set up an arrangement, go by. If you have been there go by and check it out you're going to be impressed with the facilities and uh, i guarantee you if you go through the tour you're probably going to sign up real quick 850-583-9066 line one to uh, buy your ticket schedule a private tour there's misters going in we know the first uh, couple games are night games so you won't have to deal with the sun you get unlimited soft drinks and food it's a good deal so check out the dunlap champions club and we tip our cap to them now with that said here's the front row Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back, reunited, the band together once more. Tom and KJ with you. Keith, good to see you. Do I have to play the drums or can I go back to the bass? Whatever you prefer. I do see that. Can't do both. You got a haircut. You dropped several pounds since last I saw. I mean, I've been gone a while, so it's good to be back in the same. Last time I was here, the chair collapsed. I understand. And and I'm just happy to say. In order for me to get back to my ideal weight, you'd have to leave for about a year and a half. Well, if uh, if I had such said resources, I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> it could it could be a you could be the sole host of the front row if I had those kind of resources. I'd go uh, find an island somewhere. Understood. Get myself an umbrella drink. Uh, it is good to be back. It is interesting times, obviously, in light of what happened last night. And we will talk uh, college baseball. I think as we get things started, our Seminoles dot com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us. We'll reflect on Florida State's baseball season, but also the entire athletics year, which is now history with college baseball done. Uh, And so we'll do that over the next uh, couple of segments. We appreciate you tuning in, as always. I guess here's the question, Keith, and I I went to bed watching. Obviously, we've talked ad nauseum about Laura watching LSU, so I've watched more LSU than – Probably most FSU. Fans I've watched have. more LSU in the last week than than well that would have guessed. I, but I had watched them uh, already uh, this year, so I, obviously I watched the games uh, the last two nights, and I was trying to just come to terms with what a lot of FSU folks are trying to come to terms with today, and that is that Florida now owns a baseball national championship, and Florida State and Mike Martin still do not. And when I woke up, the only term I could think of is gut punch. It kind of felt like a gut punch, which is not. Any disrespect to Florida, because to be clear, you have to tip your cap to Kevin O'Sullivan and what he's done with that pitching staff, and Florida played great in that series. And I don't think you can look at this year for Mike Martin, and obviously when you have a long body of work, there's a lot more that people can go back and second-guess and nitpick. So Mike Martin has coached 38 years. You can go back to 1983 and pick a game and say, why in the world do you do that? But if you look at this year and where this team got, they were basically top five preseason They finished number five or number six, depending on the polls. They got to the World Series. Yes, we would have liked to seen them go a little bit further or win the whole thing. But I don't think this is the year you can make the case for – and I don't know that any year is the year you can make the case that Mike Martin can't win the big one. Has he won the big one? No. Can he win the big one? I don't see why not, except the time is getting short. This year probably is the best year in which you can make the case that – that consistency, stability, and not getting too high and not getting too low served Florida State baseball best. They didn't panic when they got so low. They didn't get bigger than themselves when they when they got out of the ACC tournament after having won it and getting into the regional and the super regional. Um, this this may go down as one of the years that the success of the year is directly proportionate with the fact that you had a, a long-tenured coach that that goes by his system and doesn't waver from his system. I don't want to be total homers on this, so I was trying to reflect back, and when you look at it, and my, my personal history with Mike Martin is very good. Obviously, I, along with Lulu, I was one of the voices of Florida State baseball for several years. I have the utmost respect for him there, and it was a first-class program to be involved with when I was in that capacity. I wasn't around for the 80s, so I don't have – 
any opinions or thoughts really on on what transpired then i showed up in 89 90 and have pretty good baseball knowledge of florida state's program since then if you look at the 90s when florida state went in three-year bunches i mean just thinking out loud i think they went 89 91 92 94 95 96 98 99 2000 to omaha they basically were a consistent top five program five to ten maybe depending on the year i didn't go back and look at the rankings now if you look at 2000 to present they're more a 10 to 15 program so that is a dip from where they were so a couple things one the bar was preposterously high for what they did in the 90s and number two one word starts with a p parody no question now you could look at it the other way and say that Perhaps Mike Martin's age is factoring into why there's a little bit of the decline. Perhaps that's hurting recruiting because anybody who signs now doesn't know who their coach is going to be after three years. And I think that's a legitimate concern, and we can expound upon this. I think it's reason why Florida State needs to if, – if, if next year is going to be the last year for Mike Martin – Announce and, it, prepare for it. And, and you know that Mike Martin Jr. is going to be the next coach. I think you just announce it and do it. If you if you don't know that Mike Martin Jr. is going to be the coach, then I don't know if announcing it does a lot of good because it just opens up more questions to recruits. It basically tells them for sure that they won't know who their coach is going to be in a couple of years. But I do think that needs to be addressed because I think it's an issue. So anyway, I'm going a long way to say if you ask the question, has the program dipped compared to the 90s, the answer is yes. But if you ask, has it dipped anywhere near the proportion that Florida State football dipped during the so-called lost decade, the answer is not even close. No, I mean, they, they, they've been to the World Series two out of the last six years. 2014, they didn't win a regional. But other than that, they've been in the Supers more than any other program. So they've been a consistent top 15 program. Not only that, go back and look at the other programs. Where's Arizona State been? Where's USC been? You know, we, we've seen some some programs that over the our, our snapshot, in my case, 35 years, that were absolute stalwarts in Omaha don't get there and haven't been there in a while well cal state fullerton they were there but they've lost now nine mm-hmm. straight games in omaha but they have four titles in their trophy case and so you know the the debate the reasons everyone will have their own uh i i always go back and i was thinking about this the other day uh and this is not a good explanation but i'm always reminded of the fact that jack nicholas won 18 majors tiger has 14 and Jack's now the the guy that they think is going to hold that record, and maybe it will never be broken. He finished second 19 times. Right. I mean, Florida State's been there twice. Mike's been there twice and, and not won it. Uh, O'Sullivan had been there once and had not won it. This was their sixth trip, I believe, under his tenure. Um, those that That's just the way sport is. And unfortunately, you said twice. Mike's been there several times. And I mean, to the final, to the finals, to okay. the final. I think right. Mike's twice, to right? Eighty six and ninety nine. Right. Yeah, for Mike Martin. Yeah. Um, so my point is, he's gotten there, and he's gotten all the way there. Well, I think just hadn't gotten over the top. I think the interesting comparison there, and Aaron Fitt wrote a great article last week after Florida State lost, that basically said if you're all over Mike Martin, uh, you need to reevaluate, which goes back to the model of consistency. But I think, you know, 40 straight years of 40-plus wins and doing what he's doing. To me, the guy is LeBron. Now, LeBron has won titles, but he gets dinged every time he goes to the championship and doesn't win instead of being celebrated for getting his team. I mean, he's been to the finals like umpteen years in a row now. Which Now, Mike Martin hasn't been to the finals every year, but every time he goes to Omaha and doesn't win, it comes up as a negative on the resume instead of being a positive, and that's tough. Now, I want to be clear. Uh, this is the land uh, or the time of giving participation trophies to every kid in Little League. And I'm not suggesting FSU should be happy with participation trophies of getting out to Omaha. Uh, We'd all love to win the national title. It hasn't happened. You know, the people who are Mike Martin detractors will go back and say it's because of him and his decisions that it hasn't happened. Others would look at it and say it's just baseball. And I mean, and we haven't even talked about some of the LSU questions, and there were a lot of them the last couple of days. I thought I was watching Florida State play Monday and Tuesday night (laughs) with some of the things that that happened and were committed by LSU. Again, I don't want to take anything away from Florida because they pitched, I mean, their pitching staff is tremendous. 
but haven't watched LSU play a little bit. And Paul Maneri has won a championship. So, but that said, and I follow a lot of LSU folks. There were people. Uh, there's LSU fans that wanted Paul Maneri fired this year, and uh, you know, and and even now, I mean, that's so. Fan is short for fanatic. We get it. It's the same everywhere. But if you look at this last two games, I thought when I watched the Monday game when they started the senior who hadn't pitched at all, that he waited too long before he to pulled him. And he admitted as such in the post game when he said, I got a little too greedy trying to extend whatever that kid's name was. He, he let him walk the bases loaded instead of getting him with first and second. They lost that game by one run. So then you look at last night, and I didn't compare the averages, but he changes first baseman from the kid who's been playing most of the games and the reason, I'm sure, was average or pitching matchup. And the kid he puts in last night commits two errors. Well, that's the kind of thing that LSU fans are second-guessing right now, you can be guaranteed. And on top of it, then you have a kid who slides way out of the baselines, costs him a run. LSU's pitcher, who's the winningest pitcher in LSU history, Jared Poche, didn't know how to go through an appeal on that tag play. So I'm just, and again, I'm not going to get on Paul Maneri, but if you look at that and, and imagine that that was Florida State, these are all the same questions that FSU fans would be second-guessing about Mike Martin and FSU. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're, they're mirror representations of what baseball is all about. And the point being, guess what? That's just baseball. You, you can probably pick any other coach and numerous other programs and go back to a particular year or a particular series and say the same thing about everyone. That's what that's what's so in my mind so interesting, so unique about baseball. There's so many dynamics. Getting back to Mike Martin because this is a discussion. People, it's sort of like politics right now. You're either for Trump or you're against him. I think that's where we are with Mike Martin. You're either Martin fan or you're not. Nothing anybody says. There is no in between. There, there is no in between on it. Um, I, I I love Mike Martin, and and for those that are not on board. I don't think it's worth a lot of angst because I really think next year is going to be his last year. Now, we're recording today's show at lunchtime. Who knows if an extension's being announced or what's coming. So uh, just for the sake of putting that out there. But this is not a he's going to coach till he's 85. He's 32 wins away from Augie's record. There was a time this year when we thought he might not be able to get it next year. He's going to get 32 wins next year. Correct. He's going to be the all-time winningest coach. Uh, again, if if it was me, I would go ahead and make the announcement. Next year's the last year. Give him a farewell tour. Name Mike Jr. as the uh, the coach in waiting, and we can debate whether coach in waiting is a good thing or not. But the one place it has worked is Florida State with Jimbo, and that was when you didn't know the time frame for Jimbo to become head coach. This would be even different if you said it's going to happen in one year. If all you said occurred, it would be much neater, cleaner, and without um, hard feelings as compared to the Bowden exit. Yeah, no question. So let's talk real quickly. We'll go to break and get Tim Linnefelt on. And and again, I don't know what the latest on this will be, but Kevin O'Sullivan, Florida's coach, has basically been rumored to be the front runner for the South Carolina job depending for weeks on, now. Depending on who you talk to, South Carolina was just waiting for that game to get over in order to approach him. I have no inside knowledge. I do not know one way or the other. I do know that it would be foolish for South Carolina to not approach him given the fact that he'd spent a decade at Clemson and and has ties in South Carolina because of that stint, uh, you'd be crazy if you're South Carolina's AD and not entertaining it. However, I'll now be, that he's, I'll now be that he's won one, yeah, I'll be shocked yeah, the if money, he goes. The money won't be the issue. The reason would be fan support and facilities, which Florida can, can get its facilities where they need to go. I don't know Kevin's, uh, Sullivan's personal situation. Maybe his wife's from South Carolina. Maybe the family liked it. Maybe that's consideration. Maybe it's not, maybe it's off the table. Uh, I do know his buyout goes down by a quarter of a million dollars starting July 1st. So, I mean, if so there's silence for three more days, wait, you might want to wait just a little bit of your South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we need to go to break, but I have more on this. We need to go to break. Don't we? Nah, Matthew says, keep going. Um, What's interesting is after Kevin O'Sullivan, and this isn't a Gamecock show here, but the other names that are in the mix are not nearly as accomplished. One of them's Wake Forest coach, who had a great team this year. Mm -hmm, he did. One of them's uh, Josh Holliday uh, at Oklahoma State, who has been a longtime assistant at several schools, well thought of, but doesn't have the track record. So there, there is a drop there in who they're looking at. And, and the other part of this that's interesting is I really think if you say Oklahoma State or Wake Forest coach gets uh, the South Carolina job, 
I got to think Mike Bell's name is going to be out there. He's very well thought of. Florida State fans may not appreciate him to the degree they do. He coached at Oklahoma for several years. He knows everybody in the Big 12 if that job opened. Maybe some would say he needs to go to a smaller program first, which that would fit Wake Forest if that's the job that opened. And to finish the thought, some of our listeners are going, well, why are you bringing up Mike Bell? Why don't you bring up Mike Martin Jr.? And the reason is neither of those programs would pick Mike Martin Jr. because they think he's going to come immediately back and replace his dad when his dad retires. In fact... Mike Jr. was a finalist for the Wake Forest job when the current coach got it, and one of the dings against him was, well, we're just a stepping stone kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Obviously, uh, it's tough times for Florida State fans because here we are staring at the fact that Florida's got its baseball national title before Florida State. It, it changes the dynamic a little bit. If you look historically and you think Bobby trying to climb the mountaintop all those years, he couldn't get past Miami. And if you think about the end for Bobby, it was magnified because Urban was having success at Florida at this time. So now we're near the end for Mike Martin, and Florida's having the ultimate success on the baseball field. Though to his credit, his program really has not dropped off much further than what I mentioned at the beginning. Correct. One thing, uh, another thing that has not dropped off is the uh, the level of service, creativity, and everything else that uh, goes with Madison Social uh, and Centrale Italian Parlor and Township. I didn't even look this week to see what's going on, but I'm sure it's National Wine Day or Beef Day or Chicken Day or Pork Day or Pizza Day or something. And Pe- if you Pepperoni go, Week. It, it might be. Uh, there's probably a special in the works to drown out your sorrows for Florida winning a title in baseball and there may even be a commemorative glass involved there may be uh that you can break before you leave maybe maybe that's what it is you take a baseball and you break the commemorative glass if not we can mention that to them anyway you get the moral of the story go to centrally (laughs) italian parlor madison social township tell them tom and kj sent you we'll uh step aside we're done babbling for now we'll get our seminoles.com insider tim linnefeld on right after this The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. The music make, makes me feel better, Keith. I'm, 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 other than my that, head's going up and down a little bit. Other than that, it is still a strange day as we uh, welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Lunefelt, to the program via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. How many pounds did you gain while you were in Omaha for that eight-day stretch there? That's the first question. Oh, gosh. I think uh, probably around a, a pound a day, give or take. Well, that's that's what the Omaha Steaks will do to you. So yeah, I, I regret nothing. Well, <laughs> and admits nothing. Yeah, there's something about eating steak and then uh, washing it down with Zestos that's really good for uh, for your well-being. Um, so I don't know if you watched the game last night or not, but I know you know the result. So your first reaction upon knowing that Florida is now national champs in college baseball was, is? They are? <laughs> well played. No I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean... You know what are you, you going to do, right? Um, I thought you know, it was funny when I when I went out there or we, when we got there for the first couple of days, uh, taking a look at that team and, and the way that the brackets uh, were laid out, uh, given who was on Florida State side of the bracket and who was on Florida side. You know, you sort of took a look at them and said, "Man, given the format of this this tournament, where you can really, if you win a couple games, you can do a lot of work with just two starting pitchers." Uh, and then two, uh, if, if they could get past Louisville, I thought Louisville was the best team, best best other team in that bracket. Not to you know, disparage the Texas teams, but if Florida could get past Louisville, which they did, uh, man, they probably had a pretty good shot to win this thing. Now I'll come with the caveat of saying that after a couple of days in Omaha, I thought to myself, well, that doesn't really matter because nobody's taken two from Oregon State. Uh, it turns out that was wrong. Yeah, I want to be uh, fair. I mean, I'm not going to diminish anything Florida did or say that it was an easy bracket or they got breaks. I mean, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But they, they flat out pitched is what they did. And and every arm they went and got was throwing 95, 96, 97. And that to me maybe is what's most impressive about what Kevin O'Sullivan has done down there. Because I think if you followed baseball in the state of Florida historically, most of us have wondered why has Florida 
not been better in baseball. They've been up and down, inconsistent. It's always been Miami and FSU, and and they finally got the guy who figured out to turn them into what, in my opinion, they they could have or should have been for a long time. Yeah, and you know you could probably argue uh, you know, that they may, maybe even have underachieved by having last night be their their first national title. I think that you know they probably had some better teams go out to Omaha uh, and disappoint. I mean, they've been you know their, their pitching staff uh, and what they've done down there. I mean, I know nobody really wants to hear it, but I mean they've probably the, the best in the country over the last few years. So, uh, I mean, you saw LSU struggle with them. I mean, everybody did. That's a really good Louisville lineup that, that Florida's pitching shut down. So, uh, you know, like I said, at some point you got to give credit to those guys. They, they've done a good job. You are a Seminoles.com insider, so we'll bring it back to Florida State now, Tim. With one little uh, caveat that I failed to add, uh, to add, Keith, in our first segment, because I saw this come across my timeline. So Jack Leggett, you'll remember, was the longtime Clemson coach who had a lot of success at Clemson but did not win a national title. And now both of his assistants, Tim Corbin at Vandy and Kevin O'Sullivan at Florida, have won national titles. So it is just, uh, you know, and Mike... Welcome to baseball. Mike Fox is the second winningest active coach in college baseball, North Carolina's coach. He doesn't have one either. So welcome to baseball. But what, back to you, Tim, I do remember you're on the line. What do you think is next for Mike Martin? Is it one more year? Is there going to be an official announcement are we going to get a contract extension? Will there be a head coach in waiting? What What do we expect? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I don't know that that those answers are are clear just yet. I think there there will absolutely be uh, next year. I don't think anybody doubts that. And and quite honestly, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if if it went even further than that. In fact, I think at this point, I probably would be surprised uh, if there wasn't. I, I don't know about the head coach and waiting type stuff. That's been an interesting trend. Obviously, it worked out here pretty well for football, but uh, I also think that's been more the the exception rather than the rule if you look across the country. Uh, that, that's a good question. I don't know. Like I said, I, I think the, the, the near future is, is definitely uh, pretty clear. And beyond that, I think it depends. You know, I think it depends somewhat on, on what Mike Martin wants to do uh, and then kind of go from there. Tim, I, I, I haven't completely thought this through, uh, so I'm kind of thinking off of the cuff. But about halfway through the season, the stories that I was hearing, the stories that Tom was hearing, I'm sure you got pushed back as well, is that is that Eleven had lost touch with the club. He, he wasn't able to relate to the kids, that, that there was a communication gap there. And then once they got past Louisville, once they got into the ACC tournament, once they got into postseason, the narrative seemed to change. And in fact, publicly, many of the kids were talking about how they wanted to win this for 11 and how, how they were appreciative of his long history. Do you think maybe something happened? There was a turning point uh, during the year where, where, where whatever deficiencies 11 might have in terms of being so much older than these kids, he went to another level where their appreciation and respect for him changed and, and and morphed and improved. Any thoughts on that? Uh, that's a, that's another good question. You know, I, in general, I, I tend to think that, that those types of stories and narratives are a little bit overblown. Uh, whenever a team is losing or, or, or struggling, our natural response is to try to find a reason for it, other than they're just not playing well or things just aren't working right. And then whenever a team is winning or, or doing well, especially in a, in, after a dramatic turnaround, we want to find a reason other than they just started getting their act together and playing well. Um, you know, look, I mean, yes, obviously, you know, Mike Martin isn't a 22 year old kid, but I don't think, you know, he has to be. Um, I mean, I, in my opinion, I think it's just kind of as simple as look, you know, we knew that this team had the talent to make it to Omaha and, and to finish among the last teams there. Uh, we knew they had the ability just for one reason or another, it wasn't working out, but it's, it's funny how, you know, once, they start playing up to their capability and doing the things that, that we know we, that they can do. We've seen that they can do it. And in the case of the freshmen, uh, you know, they have the pedigree that strongly suggests that they can do it. Once that, those things sort of start coming together, all those peripheral stories and, and you know, little things that you hear and, and rumors and, and whatever else you know, sort of seem to fall by the wayside. So, you know, not to kind of, you know, mix the narrative or whatever, but in, like I said, in general, I think those things sort of tend to be overblown in the heat of the moment. I would agree. I will say that the biggest difference last six weeks of the season, and you could point to a couple of guys because Matt Henderson got hot, Drew Mendoza was in the lineup, but Taylor Walls over the last six weeks of this season played much more like the Taylor Walls of last year. And I didn't pull the stats, but I bet if we went through or went back and looked at that little mid-season suspension he had, 
and then took a look at his average from that date forward and what I what he did, I bet it would be pretty doggone good because that's when the team started playing better. Well, exactly right. He he started playing better. Drew Mendoza, you know, you forget he missed a significant chunk of the season at the start, but by the time he got his legs and, and sort of got up to speed with the college game, he was performing exactly as advertised. Uh, you know, uh, that was sort of the thing. You know, a lot of the guys who were big contributors to, to last season's team uh, struggled out of the gate or, or had a hard time replicating that success early on. And some guys, you know, even even by the end of the season, uh, you know, it, it was still a struggle. But, but once Taylor Walls and Dylan Busby especially uh, started performing up to the level that, that they had shown in the past and you know, they were capable of, uh, it's funny how quickly that ship turned around. I, I believe it's correct that Walls has already signed. Is that is that what I read? I saw that in the Natasha Democrat. Have we gotten an update on Busby yet? I don't believe so. And then Carlton. This is the same what Carlton signed apparently, and, yep. and Busby I'm sure will sign. Right. Really, to me the 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 question. I guess there's two question marks. One would be Tyler Holton, who's with Team USA, which to me indicates he has he definitely is he definitely coming back? Has he said that? I mean, the Team USA timeline plays out beyond when players can, can report can report if that or, or have to sign. Do you know? Yeah. I, I don't know that he's made an official announcement, but Tom, I'm kind of with you. The fact that, that he's he's doing the Team USA thing and, and committed to that, um, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine. You know, if, if he were intending to sign and had it indicated to, to you know the team that he was intending to sign, uh, I would suspect that that probably wouldn't be happening. And he but, was only yeah, eligible was because of age, indicator. right? Yeah, he was only eligible because of where his 21st birthday fell. The other name I was going to mention was Kobe Johnson uh, coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, but now that I think about it, I mean, Carp got drafted as well. Do you have any feel for those two guys, Tim? Uh, I suspect uh, – I, I, I think that both of them will be back. The one that, that is interesting is Kobe Johnson just because he's been through so much to get to this point in terms of injuries. Uh, you wonder if he might like to just go ahead and, and move on. But, but you could also you know, make a pretty strong case that coming back and, and pitching a year and, and staying healthy for a year and, and kind of you know, getting back up to speed would be a pretty good thing for him too. So I think he's one that has a pretty interesting decision to make. I would expect Carp to be back. Well, and so if you look at that, you're talking about Carp, Kobe Johnson, and uh, Sands are all guys that can throw in the low to mid 90s. So you got three plus fastball guys if they all come back, and then Tyler Holton. So you've got the makings of a pretty good rotation, and one of those plus 90 guys maybe becomes your closer, and that's without factoring in any of the other arms that are returning or that are coming in. Well, and they say, and don't shortchange Drew Parrish, who by the end of the season was pitching really, really, really well. I suspect you'll see him in the rotation. Uh, too, yeah, no, it, it's a pretty good problem for for, for Florida State's pitching staff, pitching coaches to have. Uh, they have a, a lot of options. I'd be curious to see you know what they do with that closer spot now that uh, the true Carlton is gone. Uh, but they do have, uh, I think, plenty of options and, and probably you know good good problems to have. Anything else on the baseball front before we uh, take a break and then invite you to stay on to to kind of recap the the year that was Florida State athletics. Well, I, I think we kind of uh, we kind of touched on it. You know, uh, there, there'll be some uh, some interesting holes to fill, uh, especially like you said, at, at shortstop. Uh, where I think we all expect Dylan Busby to sign. I'm curious to see what they do with Drew Mendoza next year if you leave him at first base or move him over to third, which I think is what he was expecting to play coming in. Uh, and you have an opening for a designated hitter too. Uh, so you know, you wonder Red App having Red Applin back, are you going to leave him in right field, move him to the DH spot? Uh, a lot of good pieces and a, and a lot of ways in which you can move. So it could be a, a fairly interesting offseason and, and preseason leading into next year. Tyler Holton can be your DH. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Kevin. Uh, I was going to say one last thing before we go to break. Uh, the master plan, uh, Wilcox uh, master plan, it, isn't that scheduled to be released sometime in the latter part of the summer, early part of the fall, i.e. any facility issues relative to Hauser and upgrades you know, might be being talked about sooner as opposed to later. Yeah, I'd say, uh, Nick, Keith, you are, uh, you're, you're putting me on it today. Uh, I know there, there's some problems about that. I don't know what all I'm, uh, I'm permitted to say. Just that I, I do believe that the, uh, the wheels are turning, as they say. That was very well handled, Tim. You've become okay. a you've become a professional in your time with Seminoles. dot com. We will from the best. We'll step aside and see if we can ask you other questions that you have to tiptoe around when we come back on the front row right after this. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith.
Back on the front row and back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline we go because our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld is patiently waiting by. We're going to expand the conversation beyond FSU baseball here, Tim, because the end of baseball season means the end of the sports year for colleges across the country. And in fact, the final... I almost called it Sears Cup. Learfield Director's Cup standing. Original Sears Cup. Will be released tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. And Florida State was 17th pre-baseball. And I actually opened it up, and I'm not quite sure how many points you get for winning a game and basically finishing tied for fifth in Omaha. But I I think Florida State uh, will be into the top 15, maybe as high as 13 or so, which means that Every year except last year, Tim, I guess, and I, maybe eight of the last nine years, nine of the last ten, they will have finished in the top 15 comprehensively. Is it, does that sound correct or about correct? I believe so. And, and yeah, from what I've been able to gather, and, you know, obviously we'll, we'll see for sure. Nobody, I don't think anybody knows for sure yet, but uh, I think the expectation is uh, top 15 maybe even a little bit higher. And, and I think I feel like we sort of offer this caveat every year, but it's true the, the way that thing is calculated. Uh, with, the, with the amount of sports that Florida State has compared to the amount of sports that some other schools have, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty impressive to finish that high. And it also, you know, the, I won't call it a negative, just something to keep in mind. It also sort of limits uh, how high you can finish uh, in it as well. It's like a, you know, a Stanford situation or, or something like that. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty uh, another another impressive finish and you know, for Florida State being up there, and that's kind of where they want to be. Well, before we get to looking at the individual sports, how about we finish number one? You ready? What Division One team, university, won a New Year's Day Six Bowl, won a game in the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament, and won one game, at least one game, in the College World Series? Well, uh, well Keith, I would say Florida State, but that feels a little too obvious. And who else did that? Did anybody else do it? No one. No one. Florida State is the only university to accomplish those three in the same academic year this year it was a good year uh, overall when you look at that and i think we take this for granted sometimes as you're going through it uh you know i broadly tim what what's sort of your highlight on the fsu uh sports list from this past year you know i i was spending a little bit of time thinking about it i know because i know uh, a lot of people in the, in on some uh some, some back room type stuff you texted me last night and kind of put the bug uh in my mind so to speak and there's just a lot, really. There's a lot. I mean, it's really it's really hard to ignore uh, football doing what they did, um, rallying back from a difficult start, come back to win those games. You still beat Florida and Miami, and then beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl, who's a team that I think you know a lot of people had pegged at the beginning of the season to to be a, a national championship contender. I mean, there's there's no way, no better way to end a season that that started as tough as that one did. Uh, but then I also look at basketball. To me, it was one of the most uh, men's basketball, one of the most uh, memorable seasons uh, really that i that i have uh since i've been covering the team and, and one that i can remember uh living in tallahassee for a long time I mean, that team not only they were, were they really really good uh but they were just a lot of fun they were fun to watch they had some cool personalities uh you know watching jonathan isaac who we all knew would be a lottery pick and of course uh, actually was one last week uh you know seeing all that come together and seeing that team come together i think to me it really where it came to fruition uh, more than anything was that home game against Louisville. If you remember, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, and they got up like 14 to nothing right out of the gate uh, against Louisville, who was a really, really good team. And that was, I think, when you sort of looked and you said, man, uh, you know, th- this team really has something. Um, and so, you know, I think probably those two things, I mean, not to stick with the obvious football and men's basketball. Uh, and then to go uh, one further um, and go uh, maybe a little less obvious, the, the women's golf team had just a fantastic year. Um, I don't want to say they came out of nowhere because they've been building up to this point for a long time, had a lot of juniors and seniors. Uh, but for them to do what they did, win the tournaments they did, and, and make a run for a national championship uh, was a, a pretty cool thing to see as well. You know, staying on the women's side, that's where my biggest disappointments were probably, uh, not counting that forgettable Saturday afternoon we spent in Louisville in September. Um I would have. I really wanted to see Coach Sue's team get to the Final Four, and they're you know that's kind of the next question for them because she's reloaded. She's brought in. She's become, uh, to her credit, you know she's she's landing talented transfers to plug holes on a regular basis now, and she returns the ACC Player of the Year and Shaquilla Thomas. So that team's going to be very good again. And then on the softball side, that was a really good softball bunch that came up one game short in the Supers. And they return a lot next year, including a potential national player of the year, Jesse Warren. Um, but th- those were sort of my, my disappointments, probably. 
one other team that's going to be really good for FSU next year is soccer. They've won four straight ACC championships, and they return everybody on the team from last year save for one contributor, uh, if memory serves. And they feature Dana Castellanos, who we've talked about here, who's maybe the most high-profile prof- athlete if you look internationally that's that's currently at florida state more followers more more twitter followers than anyone else. social media yeah <laughs> that, that's a good point on soccer and if, and if there's one thing you can count on uh no doubt is that uh mark recorian's always got uh, a new wave of freshmen who probably have youtube videos and highlight clips and, and whatever else that make your jaw drop so i uh, you know i'm sure you'll be hearing more about those players coming up soon but uh having another year dana castellanos uh, and then with uh, with whoever else he has coming in, you know, he kind of kind of scours the globe and, and gets people to come to Florida State. Uh, you know, they're going to be good. There's no doubt about that. Guys, have we ever talked about? Uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier about the Directors Cup. Uh, it, it obviously favors uh, a university like Stanford. Uh, you you pick ten men's and ten women's results. Stanford has 36 NCAA teams. Yeah, so they get to discount. Uh, so they so is there ever been any discussion? Would it be worthwhile for for folks that have more than twenty teams, more, folks that have more than ten and ten? Why don't we make it at the beginning of the academic year? They have to pick which ones they want to use. <laughs> they can't just wait and, and count them after the fact because Florida State only has nine. Are we up to twenty now, or is it still nineteen? That no, we we're have? up to twenty. We're up with to twenty with beach volleyball. Yeah. And and it just seems that you know Stanford's always going to win that because they field more teams. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if there's ever been any uh, any discussion on that, but you know, if you're in a situation where the same program wins every year and everybody knows why, and that's not taking anything away from Stanford, They're not at all, not at all. That's everything. off to them. But but if you know the same team is going to win every year, and and there's a, a reason you can point to as why, in addition to them being really good at everything. Then maybe it's time to uh, reevaluate the uh, the format a little bit, you know. Well, the other point, and we're really getting into the weeds here, but you get the same amount of points for winning a national title in say rifle, where there's 30 schools that compete, as you do men's basketball, where there's 330 schools that compete. So, uh, you know, it just is what it is. Florida State's actually getting some benefit from that now because in beach volleyball, there's not that many schools that are competing yet, and Florida State's consistently in the top four. Well, let me complicate that one step further, Tim. Any Long, I know I'm not aware of any short-term plans, but any long-term plans uh, by Florida State to expand their their NCAA uh, teams. I know <laughs> Equestrian was talked about seven, eight years ago. Uh, are there any other any Hold other long-term movement? Hold on, while he flips to the correct section of the manual to answer <laughs> the question, Keith. <laughs> no, I, you know I'll, I can I can only speak from uh, from just my own memories from a long time ago, and nothing that I've heard lately. I, I think. I don't think there's much momentum on that point. You kind of brought up uh, a little bit ago the, the facilities and the next wave of, of upgrades. I think that you know that's something that they want to cross off before they, they start thinking about adding sports. The one thing I had heard, I remember years ago, and I remember exactly when this was, uh, and Tom, maybe you can speak to this, was potentially adding, uh, adding lacrosse. Um, and, and maybe that could be something because there's already a, a club team here and sort of you know a, a slight infrastructure for it. But it's been several years since I'd heard anything about that. So I, I don't believe there's any momentum for it. If there is, uh, they're keeping it awfully quiet. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to that, except to say that gender equity becomes an issue. And so if you add, you know, you can't add, a, if you added a men's team, you'd have to add two women's team, I, I think. Or something like so, that. Something and like I, that. And I get that. And I don't, and I, and because, but, I, but I do think that lacrosse, both men's and women's, or men's soccer at FSU would or be. Field would or be, field hockey. Would be huge hits. I think they could be very, very good. Florida State would have a lot of success. And if Florida plays lacrosse, at least on the women's side, uh, and the ACC sort of has that lacrosse, you know, Ivy League background to it, if you will. So I think that'd be a natural fit if they if they went down that road. All right, Tim, we're, t- we're time for the uh, prediction uh, portion of this segment, then we'll let you go. Oh, good. Do you want, you want me to pin you down for specifics, or you just want to let me leave it broad-based for you? I don't, need, I don't even know uh, what we're going to be talking about. But maybe uh, a little bit of both. All right. Will the football team make the college football playoff this coming year? Yeah. Will the men's basketball team return to the NCAA tournament? Yes, I, I feel pretty good about that, especially after adding MJ Walker. Will one of the women's teams win a national title, and if so, which one? Yes, soccer. That was pretty easy as I asked that. Well, hey. How many more tournaments will Brooks Kepka win this year? <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, How many more tournaments will a Florida former Florida State golfer win this year? I think Brooks gets at least one more. 
who's going to be I'm trying to think feel free to jump in keith i tried I, I you just I, cut me I, off no I'm, I, that the, was it the, the floor is yours that no that was it, was it. That, that was, was it. the one okay. i had who's going to be the biggest I, i'm trying to think of the right term most marquee most impressive best student athlete at fsu next year given derwin, J- derwin james period yep okay how about, that before you finish the question how about not counting derwin james Who's going to be the most significant student athlete at FSU next year? You know who I think has a really good chance at it. This isn't really stepping on a limb, um, but uh, Drew Mendoza. I was really, uh, really impressed by uh, the way he turned it on uh, by the end of this season. I mean, he just looks like a, a fantastic baseball player, a future major leaguer, and you saw uh, more than a glimpse of it. And I think he's going to get that much better next year. I think that's a good call because what was the um, the women's volleyball player Gabrielle? Gabrielle Reese. Uh, I think Mendoza's got that other aspect to him that uh, he's going to endear him to maybe, to uh, maybe some crossover. Appeal. Yeah, I think uh, I think he <laughs> I think he flouts that not 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 necessarily intentionally. He just has it that uh, may draw a few uh, marginal fans uh, into the fold. Hey, well, we we can welcome them. You're suggesting he might have to give up his amateur status because he got some hair product commercials. Uh, there may be something in the works. I don't know what it might be, but uh, there, there's something there. Tim, that's all I've got. I didn't really script out many questions. I won't I won't drill down any further on that. But uh, what can we expect to see in Seminoles. dot com uh, in coming days and weeks here? Uh, a few more things, kind of like what we were touching on. Uh, you know, some some year in review type stuff. Maybe trying to reel off a few of, uh, of our favorite moments from the year that was. And then also looking ahead, you know, ACC kickoff, believe it or not, is sooner than you think. So we're gearing up for that, too. You're going to be in attendance, will you not? Of course. I wouldn't miss it. All right. We'll be there as well. We look forward to uh, perhaps having an adult beverage with you uh, in Charlotte. Don't tell anybody. Well, let's see what I can do. All right. You won't be on the clock at that point, so it'll be <laughs> He is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Littlefeld. Thanks, Tim. All right, guys. We'll see you. All right, Keith. You look like you want to say something. No, I just I, – I marvel – when we talk about show prep and how little you and I time time you and I spend Don't together, get that cat out of the bag, and then you you've done what one uh, 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 direct message or whatever that's called um, uh, to to Tim to get him ready. It's called a text message. Yeah, that too. And <laughs> and and we just throw this stuff out at him, and he doesn't bat an eye. He just comes right back. I mean. <laughs> I, I did give him a heads up that we were going to talk about the year in review, just to let him wrap his mind. Uh, I thought that was courteous. Un, unflappable is that is that a word that we might need to use now to describe uh, one Tim Linnefelt? Well informed, knowledgeable. We could use lots of descriptors. Uh, full also descriptors. because apparently descriptors. he he had a good time in uh, Omaha as he as he uh, well now he's, to now he's on a, a dieting program maybe. We'll, we'll talk to Zoe about that and see what she's got up for him, and we will talk to each other some more, and we continue on the front row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, a little time for cleanup here with uh, yours truly and KJ. Keith, uh, you said probably should talk some football. What would you like to talk about football? Well, we had Phil Steele on last week uh, talking about in his predictions. He's got Florida State making the playoffs, although if you read in between the lines, basically what he inferred is that Alabama would win in Atlanta. But uh, regardless of who won between Alabama and Florida State, both of those teams would rally whichever lost and make it to the college playoffs. Uh, The other team that's starting to get a lot of talk and discussion uh, amongst the national media is Ohio State. Uh, I mean, everybody is jumping on the uh, the Buckeye bandwagon, it appears, early on. Obviously, we're 65, 70 days, whatever it is, from first kick. And uh, as you mentioned, we've got the ACC kickoff coming up in a couple of weeks that you and I will be attending. Um, but, uh, you know, now's the dead time that's leading to the uptime relative to college football. Speaking of which, programming note, Next week, many of you may be away because it's 4th of July week. Keith and I will not be live and in person on the front row, but instead we will have the best of. And the copious 
size of of the an amount sheer number of of quality interviews that we had to go back and dig through in we the need archives. A committee. We need a committee. We really do, but uh, we narrowed it down to a few things. And one of them is Phil Steele. So if you missed that interview last week, uh, you can catch that again next week on the front row. Next week's show will be entirely uh, devoted and dedicated to uh, the upcoming season, including an interview that we aired back at signing day with Rick Cleveland, who's He's like the Bill Buckhalter of of sports writers in the state of Mississippi who uh, expounds upon Cam Akers and what he saw and how good he was. And this was before, really, we saw spring practice and people started beating the Akers drum. So that's an interesting interview. And by the way, for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with Bill Buckhalter, um, I was part of his success in beginning his career of talking about signees and potential th- folks when he was with the Orlando Sentinel. Tommy, he must have come over to, to interview me four or five times my senior year at Wildwood as he was getting started in that, that recruiting that was, thing. That was purely geography. I mean, you were close. To I something. didn't say it was not. <laughs> I just said I was part of it. And uh, Bill would come over on usually on a Thursday uh, after we would uh, finish a Thursday practice and um, – and I, I I was happy to spend some time talking with him and maybe, maybe, just maybe getting my name in the paper on a Friday morning. There was uh, switching gears, news about the ACC Network this week. The Sports Business Journal ran a, a big story about sort of the state of ESPN. And what do we call it? The carriage process? Carriage deals, yeah. yeah. And to be fair, I was still coming back from vacation. I sort of skim read the article. I need to go back and read the full thing. But anything jump out at you about that? Well, two things. Number one, uh, obviously – uh, the, the ACC network will be included in the offerings. And the one thing that did come out, and I don't know if this is good or bad. I, I, it depends on how you process the numbers, but that the request, the asking fee, the, the starting point uh, for these carriage rights uh, was less than is being asked for uh, both the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, so I think they're trying to uh, moderate or, or address any potential pushback uh, because of the cost, and maybe there's a happy medium there somewhere in terms of what they get for it. I do know this. Uh, I was not aware of it. You had pointed out that um, uh, Espen had already done a deal with Hulu. Uh, Espen owns part of Hulu. I did not know that, but that that's now the case. And, and uh, as we've talked about, they had purchased uh, the HD company that uh, can assist them with making – HD quality video available on your iPhone and your iPad and on your desktop if you choose to do that. So uh, everything that has been promised, discussed, and talked about, they're now putting feet to those promises in terms of getting that network ready. I want to go back to the point you just made about the per subscriber rate because it did note that SEC. And so the way the subscriber rate works is the asking price – for states that have SEC schools or ACC schools is higher than every state that's outside the conference footprint. And I don't have the cable homes number in front of me, but the reason that the revenue will still work out okay for the ACC is because there's many more TV households when you look at the ACC footprint compared to the SEC footprint, i.e., you take Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina out of the equation because they're in both conferences. You get the same number of households there. In the case of the SEC, you're adding Kentucky, Louisiana, Arkansas, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Texas, which is a big number. But in the case of the ACC, you're adding the whole eastern seaboard. So you're getting New York, and you're also getting Chicago because of Notre Dame. So, again, if you want to do the research, you could pull the number of cable homes. But to simplify it, it, it even if the SEC is getting twice as much for its network – it may be in half as many homes, so the, the revenue at the end of the day is going to be comparable. And again, as we've talked about on this show, you and I have talked about personally, how this thing's going to work out, even though it's just two years away. I mean, this is, it's, we're, we're, we're supposed to be up and running August of 19. Uh, this whole dynamic is going to change so much in the next 25, 26 months. Uh, I, I've sat through a presentation the other day, and I, I should have written it down, but they were talking about the um, computer chip. The, you know, the Intel computer chip. And they made the analogy that if the Volkswagen Beetle, the car, had undergone the same changes that the chip had made uh, in the last 10 years as used by Apple, a Volkswagen Beetle would cost two cents, would go two million miles an hour, and would go 12 million miles on a gallon of gasoline. I'd be happy to drive one in that area. And my point is, 
uh, and those numbers are a little bit exaggerated, but you understand my point. Point being, even in the next 25, 26 months before we actually turn on the ACC network, <clears throat> pardon me, I think you're going to see some changes that we didn't even foresee coming. Speaking of technology and the ACC network and its arrival and that sort of thing, I want to go back and uh, get on my high horse again, uh, beat the drum for some technological improvements that could be made for uh, college baseball. I know I've been beating this dead horse all uh, all, season, all season long, but uh, we'll do that when we wrap up. I do need to remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. I'm beating the drum again when we come back. No education. We don't need no thoughts control. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back to finish things up. You're just going to give me the whole floor for this? It's, Go. It's not going to be an epic rant. but it Proceed. Be, it became apparent during the College World Series because you have casual fans tuning in, and I'm looking at my Twitter feed, that uh, people were less than impressed with the umpiring consistency across the board in college baseball. And you have technology, but it's only applicable for some things and not others. Basically, the point I'm driving at is you have the, the ACC and the SEC, all these conference networks. Uh, and what are they programming in February, March, April, May, and June to fill all the hours of the week? College baseball is getting a big lion's share of it. And so now it's exposed to more eyeballs. You're making more money than ever. They have got to spend some money, devote some money to get the umpires better trained, get them more consistent, get better cameras in all the parks because you, you now have an opportunity to do that with the network so that you can get better replays. I'm not willing to go as far as some of the national media that suggested we should put a chip in the baseball and let that determine the strike zone like you do in tennis. Although when the ball is four balls off the plate and it's called a strike, I could get there pretty quick. I just think that this is it's the third sport, but it's becoming a pretty high profile sport. I guess in TV minds, it might be fourth after women's basketball because that does very big ratings, too. Uh, but it's high visibility, and and it needs to be treated as such. The one thing and that's that, without talking about how we need to shorten the game and and all that. The one thing that came out of the uh, World Series, and they've been doing this for years past, is they have the uh, umpires mic'd, right? And they went to that natural sound, that sound, and 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 replay of the uh, officials talking much more this tournament than years past. I would like to see that happen in football. I'd like to have the referees mic'd in football and use that as an added part of the viewing experience uh, in college football. Maybe, maybe not. Well, and then you can go to making the officiating crew available to the media after the game to explain why they called something a certain I'm, way. I'm, I'm not interested in that. Uh, that can be done through the conferences, and you can release uh, statements after the fact. But I think during live events, having that added dimension – and obviously, you got to be careful about language and what you know what right, gets out right. on the airways. But I found it fascinating. I thought uh, it was good. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I would say, as we leave you, one thing that I would like to see, if we could collect the tape that Jimbo and Rick Trickett put together and send to the league office every Monday, can you imagine what that looks like now, seven years in, eight, however many years in we are to the regime, of how many calls they've sent each week? Unbelievable. I'd like to take a look at that. All right. We will uh, not be back next week, but the best of front row will be. Uh, so tune in for that. Have a safe and happy fourth, and uh, we'll talk to you when we uh, talk to you next time.